Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And Angie is here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My son needed a major yard cleanup at his new home. We went straight to the Angie website and found a bunch of local, reliable, and affordable pros to handle the job, and one did pronto. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. The app and website are free to use. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, the star, and the namesake. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. I've always thought that Victor is one of the great political analysts in America. I know he's a farmer. I know he's a historian and classicist, but his uh, perceptive powers on politics uh, are pretty unrivaled. And we're going to get Victor's views on Joe Biden's rare unicorn. He came out of the basement, walked away from the dripping ice cream cone, Victor, and he had an interview with MSNBC's Stephanie Rule. And we'll get your thoughts, Victor, on that interview right after these important messages. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, it's that simple. You know, Joe Biden sat there, uh, talked to Stephanie Rule, pressed. She pressed him a little bit, you know, about his age. And uh, I think to me, the most uh, infamous thing he talked about was how proud he was of his son, uh, Hunter, who's uh, up to his eyeballs in scandal. Victor, I, I, I'm pretty sure you saw the interview. Would you share your thoughts about it and its ramifications and consequences for these United States? Wait, 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 wait. wait. You said it was an interview. I was told that Biden had a press conference that afternoon. True. That's Major what he one. said. He right. said he had Major. a. Is that, was that, are you referring to the interview as a press conference? Well, if press is a singular, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's what he said he was. And then he sits down and uh, he has a very, you know, he's defending Hunter and everything. And then, of course, after the interview, Politico went into all these uh, outlets, told us what a tortured soul Hunter was and how the Biden family has suffered. I mean, they have suffered a lot more than anybody and that they have a close relationship. But. The subtext is, as I've said before, that when you read the Hunter laptop references to Mr. 10 percent and the big guy and the whines about paying his power bill and never being appreciated, and then you factor in uh, the recklessness of his paint with his nose or whatever he was doing, canvases that go to unnamed, but we know who they are, people who pay for play. And that's a very dangerous thing to do, given his volatility. And then you factor in these rumors that his lawyers are not necessarily coordinated in his upcoming possible indictments with the Biden consortium. And you get the feeling that even if Biden did feel awkward about his son, he's not going to be in a position to say anything. Because I think Hunter's relationship with the whole Biden family is I got down in the sewer and I threw up a bunch of cash and then you hosed the cash off and you bought nice homes and had a nice lifestyle. But then I was so coarsened by my skullduggery that I ended up with prostitutes and cocaine and hotel rooms. And then you make fun of me for my crack pipe and one rented car and my gun thrown into a, uh, a, a dumpster and and my missing laptops. But, you know, I did it and you're rich. And that's his uh, that's his attitude. So that, I think that came across. And then Biden just whines. I mean, he did you see him whining about his press conference? I mean, when Trump whines about it. You, at least you can go to a left-wing think tank like the Shorenstein Center at Harvard that has data and showed that of all presidents, Trump got statistically the most unfavorable coverage. And so if you I'll give you one example, if you go Google something, do you remember that guy, Jack Stephen Scully, that was going to be the second debate moderator? I'm getting this right in 2020 for CNN, and then it mm. leaked that he had um, tweeted to Anthony Scaramucci, who was had become a Trump hater after being fired. Right. Should I reply to Trump? Because Trump said he was a never Trumper. Scully was. And right. then when that surfaced, Scully lied and said that he'd been hacked. 
Remember that? He said, oh, that's not, I didn't say that. I was hacked. And then they fired him. Yeah. Well, my point is that when you go back to that or Candy Crawley in the 2012, uh, you know, she hijacked that debate oh and gosh. said that Barack Obama hadn't had called immediately the Benghazi raid an act of terrorism when he hadn't. He'd been referring to 9-11. That, that, that was a consequential act of, of media bias. Yeah. I just saw. I just remember I looked at Romney's face and he was like a little hyena that had uh, Obama trapped. And right. he was pouncing on him because Obama wouldn't, because of the ideological inability to condemn radical Islam, he wouldn't talk about it. And then all of a sudden he was sputtering. And then she just jumped in. So that's wrong. No, no, no. He, he meant that. And so my point is that whether it's the debates or the discredited uh, genre of PolitiFact or Washington Post, Glenn Kessler or Snopes, that media, the debate media, the regular media, um, NPR, PBS, everything is slanted toward the left. And for him to get up there and say to the American people that he's been the victim of unfair press is just absurd. To the degree he has any credibility, it's only because he is so cognitively challenged that the left that prop put him on upon us, the American people who are suffering from him are worried that it's not going to work. So they're trying to desperately explore mechanisms to replace him with someone even as left or more left. So that, that was really, and then he said something like his economy, didn't he say his economy was better than Trump's? And so I'm thinking, well, how do you adjudicate that? Let's just go through the data. Unemployment, right. about the same, a little better. Number two, inflation, two point, uh, was it 1.6? And now it is run, runs by month six to 9%, depending on the month. Interest rates, I can tell you, I'm helping my daughter try to buy a home. And it used to be 2.6, 2.7. I think my son has a 2.7 mortgage. And I'm looking at them right now, Jack. They're, they're almost 7%. And that's 15 year. And then gas prices, 250, 260 a gallon. It's up to four dollars nationwide. I can't think of one economic data point where it's better. It's all worse. And so that was what the and then when you I, I guess because she did ask some questions, but she never followed up. She never cross-examined. She never did any of that. So uh, you know, it's just uh, he, what he comes across as is a. I mean, Trump come whines and complains, but after Russian disinformation and Russian hoaxes and the Alpha, you know, bank hoax and the first impeachment and all of that, he has good reason to. But this guy whines when he's been treated like royalty by the media. It's right, just incredible how thin-skinned he is. Um, yeah, Victor, and reminds me of uh, some other the one interview he gave. Well, this is was it before the election or w was with um, Mika Brzezinski that oh we're going to grill him and it was about how he had been accused and I forget the lady's name you know his former staffer and by asking a question they feel like okay we asked the question 
check. No, they, yeah, exactly. And then they just never, move on, move on to the next and then, question. And then Biden, remember he said that he knows, he, he said, I think, I think I'm, I know more than the vast majority of people. He's forgotten more yeah. than the most, he's forgotten everything. So if he ever knew anything, it's all completely gone. But for him yeah. to say that, it, it was, uh, a, it was just. But a little was, mockery, a, a little mockery of him, Victor. But what you mentioned before, maybe you want to elaborate on a little, the uh, looking, looking for an alternative when there really is none. But something came out, I think it was Axios or Politico, about his hours of operation, which we all knew about. But yeah, the fact that finally the media is, yeah, nothing today, nothing tomorrow, nothing before 10 a.m., nothing after 4 p.m., nothing on the weekends. And somebody, I was at the Freedom Works conference uh, down in Florida the other day, and um, somebody read out that he had nothing, He, I think in three days, he had one event and it was a photo op. This is the president, you know, leader of the free world. And, and so that's out there. But again, I think it's, it's so the media it's, checking a box. It's, and, yeah. I mean, think about it for a second. Okay. We have Donald Trump. I'm not trying to defend or, you know, politically anybody, but here's Donald Trump runs. And we find out 10 years ago, he had the Access Hollywood hot mic with a Billy Bush or whoever he was and said that he you should grab women, you know, want you to grab them in the black. Okay. And then we had Stormy and this. And so, you know, bring it out. It's a fair, it's a fair country if you can, if you can do that. But just look at Joe Biden. So we say this is the standard that when somebody is a president or presidential candidate, you bring out everything in his past and you explore them in depth. And even some of them can lead to an indictable offense. And then we look at Joe Biden. And what if we're going to do the same tabloid journalism, do we ever really hear any more? Tucker said it. I, remember, Tucker said it on that Joe Biden's daughter had a diary in which she implied that many of her sexual problems originated, that she probably stayed too long in the shower with her dad. Remember that? Yeah, it's kind of hard to forget that. Yeah, and that was never. For, and then we had Tara Reid, and she said... 30 some years ago that she was sexually assaulted and digitally penetrated by Joe Biden. And she told other people at the time, I know that she's like stormy. She said a lot of other stuff. And then her mother had called in roughly contemporaneously, either to Larry King or some calling show and mentioned that her daughter had been sexually attacked by a prominent. So there was some credibility unlike Susan Blasey for there was confirmation in that sense. So there was there. And then do you remember that Secret Service agents, female, complained that they did not want to do guard duty at the Biden residence because he knowingly and willingly would swim naked and get out of the pool and prance around in front of them. And they didn't like that. They felt, you remember that story? So, uh, no, I, d I don't. I don't yeah, remember yeah. that, but I, I don't, I don't, and then we get and into no not to believe it. Yeah. And then we get into the blowing in the hair and the squeezing of preteen girls and wives. And I think the candidate in Nevada asked for a, a member of an apology and Biden was forced to give it. Oh, he yeah. Got, he gave that little video and he said, 
Uh, I think even Kamala Harris said during the debate she believed Tara Reid. But anyway, in the video, he was under so much pressure because there were so many videos of his, quote unquote, dirty old man stick that he had to apologize. Put all of that in aggregate and ask what the media has done with that. Nothing. And then when you go into the racial sphere, I'm getting back to this point when he said to the American people he was treated unfairly. He's called another aide a, a reference to the RC. I think he was a Saudi. He called him boy again, person of color. He said that three times now, two to his own subordinates and one to another person called him boy. He said, as a candidate, put you in um as a vice president, put you in change. As a candidate, Barack Obama is the first articulate, clean black. As a candidate, you're a junkie. As a candidate, you ain't black. Uh, nothing. Nothing. The, the media just covered all that up. Or they contextualized or excused it. So what I'm getting at is that this guy had as much exposure, if not more, than Donald Trump. But when you... If you were to Google any of those stories that I just mentioned, you'd have to go down to search number 50 to find a, an accurate account. And so he's been the beneficiary of the most biased, bigoted, one-sided media, uh, the beneficiary of that. And yet he's on there whining that somehow his 40% rating is due to a hostile media. It's just incredible. Well, Victor, there are there's another um, example here of that this kind of uh, ground cover that he's getting from the media, which so the story is worthwhile in itself, but the the media aspect is uh, also of interest. This has to do with Senator Grassley and Congressman Comer, who uh, last week talked about uh, claimed that they have now have a highly credible whistleblower. Uh, who are demanding documents that are tied to uh, the Biden family, crimes, uh, allegations of almost pay to play. It's like a uh, pay to policy, you know, donate and 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 we, you will get the correct policy. So pretty significant charges. Right, Victor, if you imagine the uh, if this was a few years ago and. Uh, Senator Democrat and Congressman Democrat made such charges about Donald Trump, we'd be hearing nothing. But so the charges themselves here by Grassley and Comer are important. But then also the little I've seen, again, I was at this conference, but the, the media reaction has been, ah, there's no, they don't have any, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, just remember, we, we live in Orwellian times, so all of a sudden, during the Trump administration, whistleblowers, Eric Karamila, if that was his name, and Vindman's uh, collusion with with Adam Schiff, that was wonderful. And don't dare ever question a whistleblower's integrity. And today, these are all hacks that whistleblowers, a discredited phenomenon. We can't believe anything they say. And so... This is going to die like anything else. And just remember that every institution that was praised during the Trump administration as contrary or hostile, whether it was the anonymous person who admitted that he deliberately tried to impede 
presidential orders and bragged there were people at the highest rungs of government that were actively trying to subvert the Trump message, or whether you were Admiral McRaven saying that Trump should leave sooner or later, or another retired general that said that he was a liar, a Mussolini, dangerous, crazy, etc. All of that, just take that and put it in the context of the Biden administration. And you know that if there is anybody right now who said this left wing takeover America has to stop and I'm every single day with a lot of very high officials. The guy wasn't high. He was a low level guy in Homeland Security that was exaggerated as his importance through the New York Times, et cetera. But can you imagine if if a conservative outlet gave that anonymous person all of that publicity and praise that he was de- deliberately trying to basically destroy administration from the inside. Mm-hmm. Or if you had a four-star general that came out right now and said Biden should leave sooner or later, he's dangerous. He shouldn't be near the codes. He doesn't know what he's doing or that he's a liar. If some, Can you imagine a four-star saying, you know what? I listened to that tape. He is a liar. He is a Mussolini. That would be the end of it. They would say, you know what? You violated the Uniform Code of Military Justice, Article 82 or 88 or whatever it is, and we're going to prosecute you. They would. Well, that's the times we live in right now. They're very scary because, you know, asymmetry in the the dispensation of justice. We saw that Proud Boys guy. I don't know the details of the, the sentencing. He got 10 years in prison for showing up on January 6th and supposedly helping to orchestrate the protest. But the two law students that threw a firebomb in an occupied NYPD car, they got a year. It just right. it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, well, no, I, I believe you, you spoke with Sammy on the previous podcast you recorded the other day about what's gone on in New York City with this uh, subway. Um struggle where um, um, ex-Marine uh, took down a crazy man and put him in a chokehold. And he and he died because today, yesterday and today, as we're talking real time, May 7th, riots uh, in the subway system, at least. That guy, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no way in hell that guy is not going to be prosecuted or his life ruined. But the but the others who helped him, one who happened to be black, I doubt there's going to be any prosecution there. I, I don't understand that. The guy had been arrested 42 times. He had been he had three assault convictions. A Hispanic subway rider just came out today and said that Mr. Neely in 2019 walked up to him and hit him for no reason in the head, causing him injury. This guy had been doing that chronically. And he was taking over the subway. And so Mr. Bragg will probably, as you say, prosecute the person who inadvertently killed him in an effort to stop this person's threat and disruption and threats to innocence. And by doing so, he's going to send a message to everybody. If you're in a subway and you happen to be a different race than an African-American homeless or disruptor, and that person threatens to kill people or hurt people, and you, as a good Samaritan, intervene as an ex-Marine to subdue him, and anything goes wrong, you're going to be prosecuted. And so nobody's yeah. going to do that. Nobody is going to do that. Why would right. you do that? 
Why would you do that? You would you know, there'd be Victor, no reason to do that. You would just ruin your life. This guy's yeah. life is ruined. He didn't try to kill him. He thought this guy was a danger and had yeah. been threatening people. And the man's long rap sheet had proved that he was dangerous. And then we have Al Sharpton and we have all of these activists. And you say, as I said to Sammy, 10,000 African-American youth are murdered each year. None of those activists shut down the subway over that slaughter. No. And I guess the the message is we don't care about young people slaughtered by guns, by others, as long as the people who are shooting them are African-American and not white. That's all. And don't tell me, well, it's not that. It's the criminal justice system. We're asking for about 70 percent of those murders are not prosecuted. Because people in the inner city will not risk their lives and come forward and say that person I saw shoot that person. So right. don't there's no protest about these killers getting away with literally murder. So it's not the the legal issue. It's the racial issue. Right. And that's what is very frightening. And this is the subtext. The only two people that I knew that had the integrity and the audacity to talk about this was one Tucker Carlson. And he was called a racist for it. Mm-hmm. And Heather McDonald, Heather McDonald. Right. And she's been physically attacked if she goes to a campus. Right. And she's got the intellectual courage to talk about it. She's got a great article in city journal about Los Angeles and she has the data and she's it's just overwhelming that you know, she shows the percentages of African-American population in Los Angeles and the number that they're represented as perpetrators of violent crime. And it's just astounding. And yet, when you look at hate crimes and rare interracial crimes, and you see the so-called white supremacist, white rage, white privilege class committing Fewer hate crimes or fewer interracial crimes than their demographics by far. And you see the people who are supposedly suffering from hate crimes and interracial crimes committing not just general violence at five and six times their numbers in the population, but at least double in the case of hate crimes and up to four or five times in interracial crime. It makes no sense. You have to be honest and say, this is the data. You can argue. It's a legitimate argument to argue why that is true. Why does this particular group commit violent crimes way in excess of their demographic? You can argue it's the conservative point of view. It's a lack of fathers. It's the Great Society program that destroyed what was a stable black family unit in the 1950s. You can say it's racism ongoing or the legacy of Jim Crow. You can say all of that. But what you cannot say is that the facts lie. They're there. And I only know two people who will even discuss it. Victor, one one little add on personal about the subway. You know, I'm from the New York City and uh, 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 the dangers of the subway have been you know, persistent for 60, 70 years with a, a break when Giuliani and and Bloomberg uh, were mayors. But uh, when I, tr- very rare occasions now that I go into the city and even rare when I take the subway, but I bring something with me. Of course, you can't bring a gun or anything like that. So I bring a wrench. But it, it's this dynamic when you're 
and I'm not trying to be like this Marine, I think is a very heroic guy that uh, you're in a car, a crazy person comes in, you know what you can do? You can walk through the train, just I'm getting out of here. Screw this. I don't need this BS. But if you're a guy like the Marine and you see, well, but there's a, there's a mom here with kids and there's an old lady. I can't, I can't abandon them. You know, so this is, there's this, uh, a dynamic for good citizens that go that goes on that that you know you should st- you feel compelled to stay to protect them because there are no cops down there. The city's lost over three thousand cops this last year. Yeah, so. San Francisco's lost over. They're they're short. I don't know if they've lost them all, but they say they're short five hundred police. And when you go to San Francisco, Highway Patrol is driving around. I don't know if they can do much, but they're trying to stop the fentanyl. Yeah. This is it's. It's kind of, a, as we said, we keep saying this is civilizational cannibalism, suicide. I don't know what the proper um, yeah. what the proper adjective or verb is, but we're, we are destroying each other. And what's, tra- what's tragic, we, we know what we're doing, and we know it's easily rectified. All you have to do is say, this is the corpus of jurisprudence. This person committed a crime. This person will be arrested. If found guilty, this person will be incarcerated. And we did that. And it stopped because as soon as you start doing that, the person says, huh, I want to go into a subway and I want to intimidate people and smack them. But if I do, there's a 75% chance that I'm going to be arrested, cut off from my drug supply, my homeless people and i'm going to be put in a cell for two years i'm not going to take the risk and that's that's very simple yeah and well you know what happens in this cycle is it gets so bad then then they get a conservative traditionalist government in and they are called racist and everything and they start doing things like stop and frisk three strikes you're out and they stop it like giuliani bloomberg and california pete wilson and stuff and then it's it, it it's safe. You can walk around New York at midnight. You can go in Washington, uh, D.C. at DuPont Circle at two in the morning. You can go to Los Angeles and drive through the downtown with no worries at three in the morning. OK. And then people say, well, this is the natural order of things. This is the right. way it was just now. Na- it just naturally occurred because right. people are decent people. And once. And you know what? So now we now that these right wing nuts are always threatening it, we're going to defund the police. We're going to get rid of three strikes. We're going to make misdemeanors if you steal under nine hundred and fifty dollars. And it just brings out human nature and it's full. And then you have what we have now. And they never learn. They never learn. Yeah. Well, the abnormal is the virtue, and the what's normal is is uh, derided as well racist, as you as you brought out. Well, Victor, we have um, some pushback in some areas, including beer, and we're going to get to that right after this important message. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. 
but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'd like to remind our listeners that Victor has an official website. It's called the Blade of Perseus, and the web address is Victor Hanson, S-O-N, VictorHanson.com. You should go there. You should go there regularly, and you should even subscribe, because when you subscribe, you'll be able to read Victor's ultra articles. Those are the two or three articles he writes every week, exclusive for uh, the website. You, you're, you can read other things Victor writes, uh, American Greatness articles, the syndicated columns. But unless you're subscribed uh, to victorhanson.com, you won't be able to read these. And if you're a Victor fan, you got to be reading these. So five bucks gets you in the door, $50 discounted for the year. That's at, uh, again, victorhanson.com. So, Victor, um, we're going to get do a little get back to a little politics with um, uh, what's Rochelle uh, Walensky, the CDC uh, director is stepping down. But before we do that, I just like to get a few minutes in here on, on Budweiser, the never ending story about uh, Bud Light. And, you know, we had the, we had the ad of this Dylan Mulvaney. Then we had the uh, Bud ad director um, comment about, uh, you know, the good old boys are saying it was time to, you know, give some uh, address a different audience mm -hmm. for for Bud Light, a mealy mouthed apology that wasn't an apology. And now we have yet another apology of sorts because of the declining sales. And it was an anecdote. Victor, you may have heard of this at the Fenway Park, a Red Sox game. Um, the Bud Light stand was empty, and there was a huge yeah, line. Yeah, so way to go, America! But uh, here's something that the uh, Bud is owned by uh, uh, AB in InBev, and its CEO Michael Michel uh, Ducaris. I think he's Belgian. Uh, here's, I'm reading this. I forget where I picked this up. He's downplayed his company's partnership with Mulvaney to investors this past week, pointing to misinformation spread on social media. Quote, we need to clarify the facts that this was one can, one influencer, one post, and not a campaign, Dukaris explained. Victor, that's that's not true, because after the one can, one one ad, the again, the Bud representative went out there and doubled down on this and, and mocked conservatives and mocked the good old boys that drink drink Bud Light. Yeah, and, I mean... And Bud has a history also of, of supporting, you know, let's just say non-traditional drinkers. Uh, a long history of that. But anyway, Victor... Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, if he really wanted to be honest, he would tell the truth. He would say, this was a serious mistake. The vast majority of the people who buy Bud Light have serious questions about the entire transgender movement. We fail to appreciate who is our majority customer. So an executive 
brought in someone whose point of view, taste, uh, values are at opposed to the people who are drunk. And while we are tolerant, this will not happen again. Okay, that's all he did. But it wasn't just that he had these mealy-mouthed, untrue apologies. At the same time, they were sending out their flack saying, well, <laughs> you know, we may have lost, you know, 25% of Bud Light sales in the last week of April. It went up, yeah, yeah, but that's... But given our vast multi-billion dollar food and beverage conglomerate, it represented 1%, 1%. It was nothing. And that's what they're telling everybody. And so for them, they feel, you know what? Screw those drink drinkers. They may, they'll come back or who cares if they don't? It's 1% or... So what? Miller, of course, took up over for a while, but you know what? We're committed. They'll never, ever criticize the idea that there are three sexes and that people can transition to the point without their parents' permission under 18 to have radical, I think we could, it's fair to call it, mutilation surgery or that males can compete in females. They'll, they'll never touch that. And they've made that decision. So then the question arises, Jack, why? Why when even if it's not as tumultuous as, as everybody thinks it is, according to their stats on the worldwide Anheuser-Busch empire, why would, they, why would they try to do that? And the answer is that let's go back to the origins, the fonts where this started. And it's basically in the university, these people who come out of the masters of business, business, you know, business programs, MBAs, they come out of Harvard, they come out of Stanford, they come out of Berkeley, and they come out with a particular worldview that they've had imbibed in the university. And then they get into the corporate culture and the corporate culture is bicoastal. It's removed from people in the interior, and they start to have nothing but disdain for the people who buy their products. And whether it's the same thing with Disney, it's almost carbon copy of what Disney felt about the average family that saves and scrimps and then goes down to Disney World for those that overpriced product and spends five or six thousand dollars, you know, in two or three days. They have nothing but contempt for it. And they, they get it from this culture that they pick up. And there's certain checkpoints that the corporate boardroom either embraces or will never question. You know, radical Green New Deal. We're going to get rid of natural gas. Check. Uh, the transgendered movement can never been questioned. Check. BLM and Antifa get a little rowdy sometimes, but they're, they're really great people. We need to give some more money to BLM. Check. That, that's what they, they do. And I think they're having a reaction coming, Jack, kind of like, you know, in 1789, most of the French intellectual and even the liberal aristocracy said that the Bourbons can't go on with, you know, with absolute power. So in 1789, they said, you know, the Americans, they did that. Uh, they did that over a decade ago and we're going to do the same thing. So they did. And then they decided they wanted a constitutional monarchy, maybe a parliament, the Czech 
the Bourbon King Louis. And then suddenly the Girondists came in and said, no, 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 we're going to go very radical. And you guys that got rid of the king were sellouts because you didn't guillotine him. So we're going to kill him. And we're going to go after the monasteries. And we're going to destroy the church. And we're going to rename. And that's what they did. And then all of a sudden, the Montagnards at the top of the parliament, the the mountain, so to speak, they said, you, Geron, you, you're counter-revolutionary. You're scared. We're going to name the, the whole new. It's not going to be 1619. It's going to be 1789. That's our new near year. We're going to change the days of the week. There's going to be, you know, a decade, not seven days. It's 10 days in the week. And we're going to get rid of God. We're going to have this cult of reason. And then the Jacobins came along and said, you know what? The mountain yards were sellouts. They're not revolution. We're going to have the cult of the supreme being, kind of like an earth mother god. And they started killing people and same thing. And so finally, by 17, all the revolutionaries were dead. Danton killed, Ebert, dead. All of them. They, they had been executed by the next radical. And finally, at some point, this is my windy point, Jack, the Thermidor said, this can't go on. And they jumped in. And within 36 hours, they had guillotined the, the Robespierre brothers and St. Jews and got rid of them all. And then where, where did the revolution end up? The, cons, the directorate, consulate, Napoleon. And so what I'm getting at is we are at the point right now where people are starting to look at the corporations. They're starting to look at the universities, what happened at Stanford Law School, what happened at San Francisco State. And they're saying dropping the SAT. They're saying this can't go on. These marquee universities that once ensured American preeminence in every field are bankrupt. If you graduate with a BA from Stanford or Berkeley or Harvard or Yale, I don't believe you're educated. I can't trust you. Or if you're a CBS or NPR journalist, I don't think you're disinterested. If you're a, a moderator in a debate, or if you're a fact checker, I don't trust you. If you're a PBS, NPR journalist, I think you're biased. So, it can't keep going on like it is. And that's not even getting into the economy, printing money like the the revolutionaries did. It's just not going to continue. And I think there is now a pushback. And the pushback is being manifested in a variety of ways. Just think, Jack, all of a sudden, where did Elon Musk come out of? And then did you see Richard Dreyfus the other day, the actor? Oh, yeah. Uh, he was yeah. trashing the racially chauvinistic uh, Academy Award rule, Academy uh, right. rules for new pictures. Equity uh, uh, requirements for uh, any, yes, for anything to be judged for the Oscars, they have to meet all kinds of mathematical yeah, and then there's, criteria. I used to be a target of Matt Taibbi and Glenn, Glenn Greenwald. They're out there now angry. Right. And then there was Barry Weiss. And then it, it's, is it Naomi Bill Wolf? Bill Maher Naomi, on occasion. Yeah, Bill Maher. Didn't my, is it Naomi Wolf was praising Tucker? Yeah. Yeah. So my point is they think 
what we, as doctor, as I said to Sammy, what we say is doctor, we're Dr. Frankenstein. We made the monster. Ha ha. The monster's devouring us and we can't, it's not, it's unsustainable. They're sort of like the Thermidors who are saying, you know what? If we continue down this route, just Friday, Jack, San Francisco voted that commission $800 billion in reparations from a city that's bankrupt and with 30% vacancy rate in its business uh, downtown sections in a state that's looking at maybe 40 billion. They want $800 billion from a from eight generations ago when many of the recipients cannot claim that they had an a ancestor eight generations ago who was a slave, nor can they even make the argument that someone they're going to take the money from had a ancestor eight generations ago who was a slave owner. And that's not that that's how the Jacobin phase is right now. And it's not sustainable. And everybody is starting to say, you know what? It's not working. The army right. is short 16,000 men. The Air Force is short. Maybe it has something to do with these ads with transgendered people that dress up and drag and say, join the Navy. This is not working. Mark Milley and Lloyd Austin screaming and yelling about white rage is not working. Stanford University abolishing the SAT score is not working. The law school shouting down a federal judge is not working. This transgendered mob that tried to attack the swimming champ at San Francisco State is not working. Bud and Disney is not working. Right. And I think people in Hollywood are saying privately, wow, this is like Commissars, so they're going to have a quota on who gets roles depending on your race, and who. It's not only it's not only roles; it's awards. all the you, it's the it's the you know directors and all the production staff. I mean, I don't know how you could I, I don't know how you could do that. How you could. I think what you what you're going to do is I saw something else just to finish this rant. Did you see the NBA, what they said the other day about their first playoff uh, final, semifinal or whatever it was, audience? They what? were bragging, bragging that they had four million viewers. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I went back to, I picked a year at random, 1998, right? Right. So that is 30 years ago almost. Excuse me, 25 years ago. 25 quarter years. Ce yes, right. quarter century ago. Do you know what the ratings were for the playoff game? I know, 14 million. 30 million. 30? Oh my gosh. And you know what? There were 60 million fewer Americans. Yeah. So we are being told how great the NBA is doing right now when it has eight times fewer viewers than it did a quarter century ago when there were 60 million fewer Americans to be possible viewers. And we're yeah. supposed to think that there's no cause and effect by that. And we're supposed to sit there why Mr. Shoe Salesman, Nike, LeBron James keeps talking about the oppressed when he's making hundreds of millions of dollars from 
basically servile labor in China, as is Colin Kaepernick, Mr. Nike shoe salesman Kaepernick. It's just, it's not sustainable. And I think everybody is saying, you know what? Not this, I'm not doing it anymore. And I think yeah. you're going to see it. The only question mark I have is, what are the traditionalists and the Republicans and the conservatives going to do about this popular building anger who say, we're not going to be, we're not going to beg the Saudis to give us oil that we have. We're not going to beg the Bolivians or the Peruvians to give us lithium that we have. We're not going to have another Afghanistan where we give up all this stuff where we fly the pride flag and have gender studies. We're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to give Mr. Zelensky a blank check. We'll give him arms to defend himself. But this idea is going on to Moscow, why we have no javelins or no artillery shells. And we're not going to do that anymore. We are not going to have an open border. We're not going to have Mallorcas down there this week saying it's secure when he knows it's not. We're not going to do that anymore. But then what are they going to do about it? What are they going to do about it? Are they going to are they going to have a candidate and a slate of candidates that say we're not going to take it anymore? And this is exactly what we are going to do with a contract with America. We'll see. You know, well, Victor, you know, one one thing the grandees can do is or not do. And this gets back on a point you just made earlier about the universities is to stop giving to the universities. And this is a sore point, I think, on the right, that so many uh, conservatives of wealth still subsidize these places that are turning their children and grandchildren and others into communists for some, I don't know, sick association with the brand. So that's got to end. But... There is some good news you mentioned on the you know pushback Victor uh, with Bud or or Disney and this is I don't know if you saw the story about uh, you know some of these states have passed these laws about ESG where the state treasurers are saying you know what we're not going to allow our our pension funds or et cetera be involved with you financial companies if you are adopting these ESG guidelines and uh, Oklahoma, some news just came out the other day. I think it was on justthenews.com. That's John Solomon's website for our listeners, and that's the official home of this podcast. But uh, the 13 companies have seemed to have failed the test, big companies, and they've been called out by the by the state treasurer. And so there's this kind of pushback. I think, to me, that's where the most winnable fight is right now is against these corporations i don't see us as a i don't see us recapturing the universities i think we have to build new universities um uh, that's just, a good question uh, but i i don't they don't own it who, who says that who says that the, that the law uh diversity equity inclusion person who's been there about a year and a half who says she owns stanford university uh, says I, she she gets to say that Wallace Sterling or the founders of Stanford or what Stanford was doing when I was a student there or my mom was in the law school there that it's right. her university it's not her university it's the it's the alumni who fund it and it's the st faculty retired and present 
same with the administrators, and it's a larger community that support it. It doesn't belong to the students who happen to be there in a transitory fashion for four years. But, but they got it in their head that they do. They own it. They don't. It's not I, the chairman it, of the English department who helped founded an Antifa camp uh, chapter on campus. He doesn't own Stanford. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't. I, I agree with it. you. But but what about it's are the not the trustees of these universities, even those who are, you know, quote unquote, conservative, quote unquote, Republican. Aren't they in the whole kind of gutless? Yes. But you know what's going to change? It's happening, I think. So you take the board, a corporation that runs Yale or Harvard or all these people. And they get grandees from the corporate world. And in the case of Stanford, they're all mostly from Silicon Valley. Okay. The St- Tom Steyer was on the board for a while, that kind of person. Okay, so they have all this money. And they get to be the overseers of the administration. And the administration pushes, because the, the students push the faculty, the faculty push the students, I don't know which is which, uh, and then they push the administration for these left wing stuff. And then the board says, OK, well, you know, I want my kid, my grandkid. I want them all to go to Yale. They have to go to Princeton. That's why I'm on the board. And they get in and they're friends. OK, that's what that's the attraction toward it. Right. That's yeah. the attraction. Basically, yeah. you get down to it. That's the attraction. And they want their kid to, because they want them to stay in the ruling class, the aristocracy. If they get a cattle brand that says Princeton, Columbia, Harvard, Yale, Stanford on their rear end, then they feel their kid is acceptable and can get into the law firm. They can get into med school. They can be hired at Goldman Sachs. That's how they think. But what if the very programs and protocols and ideologies that they rubber stamp then filter down through the administration of the faculty and you start to really get revolutionary change. And just to take Stanford, right? such re- revolutionary change that they have to admit that they rejected 60 to 70%, depending on the year of those who applied that had perfect SAT scores, that the SAT score is optional, but they will not release the median score of those who were admitted, but they will brag about the racial components of those who were admitted, especially 22% white. And then two things happen. Mr. Pro Stanford alumnus tells the board member, hey, I got to tell you, I just gave a million bucks for my kid. He's a straight A student. He goes to, I don't know, you can say he goes to the Menlo School. He's just, he's a straight A student. He had a perfect SAT score. He didn't get into Stanford. And I gave him a million bucks. What does a board member say? Uh, you got to give 10, sorry. Maybe because there's or he's honest and he says, look, there's about 15, 1600 students. You get down to 22 percent. There's only about 300 and we I got to get my kids in. I outrank you. And then there's the football guys and then there's the administrators, kids and the faculty. There's not enough room. It's pretty costly. The price has gone up. He can say that or the person won't call up because he says, you know what? I've been looking at these graduates in the last two years, and they have a BA, but they're rude, 
If I hire them, they're going to cause trouble. They're going to call me all sorts of names. They don't know how to code like they used to. They, If I hire them in HR or PR, they don't write very well because they haven't taken the coursework. I think I would rather get a person from Pepperdine or Marymount or something like St. Thomas Aquinas. That's going to start happening. It is. Yeah. It is. It's going to do. It's going to mirror image what happened with the NBA. It really is. These universities are going to destroy their their cattle brand. They are. Well, back to what you asked about Republicans doing things. I and and I would think in the university space, it would be interesting to find what states have quote you know conservative governor with Republicans owning you know control of both the House and the Senate and applying. Focusing on the state university, not private college, and say we're and we're going to fight this battle here. We're going to eliminate this crap and get rid of the board of regents or replace the members. And that, to me, would be evidence. It's harder to pull off. I agree with what you're saying, Victor. It's I think a longer term fight with the prestigious private colleges, but there's there are. Battles to be had at state universities. They're and, more important. I'm just taking the elite. I'm just talking about the elite, but you're absolutely right. right. I, the right. state universities are the same way. Right. And they're more attuned to public opinion. And as we see that in Florida, and right. because, you know, Stanford draws on that particular bicoastal left-wing wealthy elite. Not always, but I mean, they've got a lot of pushback from alumnus, alumni, but the public systems are especially as you say, and they're accountable to the taxpayer. They don't want to fund that. It's right. expensive. I mean, this is another thing we're not talking about is that there are about five to eight percent fewer students than there were 10 years ago. It's the it's not just the demographic pool, but people look at that $1.7 trillion debt and the average graduation has gone from four to six years, well, no we're 50 percent of the cases. And they're saying, my God, do I want to run up $200,000 over six years of my life and come out at 24, 25 with that debt? And then with this degree that people are looking askance at, I don't think I want to do that. So the pool is shrinking and at the same, and the universities need that tuition at the same thing that's happened. They've gone mad. It used to be in hiring these diversity, equity, inclusion administrators. I mean, 16,000 people are identified as academic staff at Stanford when there's only 15,000 and and there's only 16 graduate and undergraduates. So in other words, the faculty, I was a faculty member permanent for 21 years in the state system. And all I heard was the following. I, I, I didn't, you know, I was sick of the faculty union, but I would go to coffee with colleagues. I would meet people at department meetings, and this is what they said, ad nauseum. Ah, you know, we got too many administrators. They don't know how to teach. Hey, hey, if they're not any good in the classroom, you know what happens to them? They promote them to administration. They get so much more money than we do. They make too much. They're just fat. And as soon as they get, they build empires. They have titles. Everybody hated them. That was the faculty mentality. It still is. So superimpose that that DNA among faculty that now you're going to trump all of those wasted administrators in a way they'd never seen before. So that most people, I mean, if you look at applications on university uh, 
listings of posting, they're about 20% are diversity, equity, inclusion of some kind. I just don't mean central administration. I mean law school, business school, school of humanities, specialized. And these faculty are just simmering. They're saying, you know what? We don't have enough students. I'm going to retire. They're not going to replace me. My nephew's going to got a PhD. He can't get a job. And what are they doing? They're taking all this money and they're hiring these commissars. That's what they say privately. But it's starting to hit home. And so I think there's a lot of centrifugal forces at all of these private and public universities that are colliding. And I think it mirror images what's happening in the general population. And again, the question is, who will stand up and who will be the leader and say, you know what? This can't go on anymore. Ron DeSantis said that in, in Florida. And Donald Trump said it in 2016. And, you know, if he would not be tied down with all, you know, he's in a slur, re-slur, challenge response cycle now because they have they've taken their stilettos out and Bragg and Latita James and Willis down in Georgia and special Jack Smith. And the latest is Trump's tweets this last three days where he went after Smith and called him all sorts of names. And Smith apparently is going around all of the Trump associates and trying to have them flip. And do you, you did you see a video with this? And we want the video for that and this. And that is a, that's the playbook. And I don't know. And and for someone to say to Trump, you've got to divorce yourself from tit for tat. That's what they want you to do. They want you to bleed out and and tweet things so that they can put a gag order on you or they can say this. You've got to just ignore it, fight them quietly in court and then talk about the issues. And, and otherwise, he's falling into their hands. So what I'm getting at is who is who are the leaders? Is is it Tim Scott, Nikki Haley? I don't think so. Who's Ron DeSantis? Who's going to come forward and encapsulate what we're talking about and saying, I can I can lead a counter revolution. We're not going to do this. We're not in the 247th year of this country. Right. We're not going to tell the people who died in Iwo Jima or Okinawa. We're not going to tell the people who died at Bellawood. We're not going to tell the people who died at Shiloh. It was for nothing. No, no, you did all of that, and we took your country, you gave us a big, fat, wealthy, leisured society, and we destroyed it. And we not only destroyed it, we hate you for giving us such bounty. That's not going to happen. I don't think people are going to take it, but we need somebody to encapsulate those that anger in, in a positive direction. Uh, you know, I just thinking on the, just to finish, I think yep. everybody's been, haven't you been pleasantly surprised by Kevin McCarthy? Yes. Everybody said he wouldn't be able. He is doing what he said he did. He's trying to bring these people to account in as much as he can do with a very thin, volatile majority and only one branch of the of the government. But so there are people who are trying to do stuff and they need our support. But it's it's really we're in a revolutionary times. We've been taken over by hard left Jacobins. The people are angry. They don't like what the Jacobins have done to the country, but they don't have a Thermidorian counter response yet. There's people on the that, that were members of the revolutionary parties that are starting to 
peel off and say to the traditionalist, we disagree, but you know what? You're right about these Jacobins. I know them better than you do, and they're scary people, and we got to stop them. Well, Gosh, Pastor, you just Matt, mentioned. Go, well, go ahead. I was just well, finish finish because I have. Well, I was just I, thinking. I, I was just going to say when Matt, uh, Matt Taibbi testifies in in front of Congress about the excesses of government and social media, and he goes home and he has an IRS notice on his door. Right. Told there's no connection and right. nobody cares. And the people on the left attack him. It's you can see that a lot of people are that that has an impression on, especially when you weaponize the FBI and the DOJ. Well, Victor, you mentioned the revolutionary parties, and I think uh, we should just get your final thoughts about how the revolutionary parties party. And we'll get to that right after this final important message. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I am Jack Fowler, the host. I would encourage you to visit a website called civilthoughts.com and go there and sign up for the free free weekly email newsletter i write it's called civil thoughts and i do that for the center for civil society at amphil used to be american philanthropic where we try to help nonprofits with their fundraising and development needs and we also try to strengthen civil society and this newsletter i write it's a collection of excerpts and links of of uh, worthwhile, important, smart, interesting articles. I think you would enjoy reading. I know a lot of our listeners have signed up for it. There's uh, no risk, not selling the list. There's no fees. So check it out, please. And uh, Also, uh, if you're on Twitter a lot, at VD Hanson, that's Victor's handle. Um, he's got um, a VDH's Morning Cup on Facebook. And there's a great group of folks, not officially affiliated with this podcast or with Victor, but also on Facebook. It's the Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club. You should check that out. Maybe maybe join that group. And uh, I guess, Victor, I've already mentioned VictorHanson.com. So, my friend, I have three things we're going to crush into one in maybe just a few minutes, and we can head off into the sunset for this episode. So, within the last week or so, a uh, week to 10 days, that we have seen the Met Gala. The Met is the, the the big gala in New York City, all the fashion, 
um, or non-fashion in the case of a lot of the oddities being worn. Folks may remember that most, not from this year, but last year when uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wore that gown, uh, you know, tax the rich. Then with a few days of that was the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which is this just um, uh, insane uh, now, I must say, National Reunion used to participate a long time ago. You bring advertisers. It was an interesting, fun evening. But it is such an elitist event now. It's got people would die if they could not attend this thing. And, uh, uh, you know, the after parties, it's a, just a big lefty thon And then the last thing, Victor, uh, uh, it's kind of affiliated in my mind anyway, but um, Armand White, who's a just a terrific i love armand he he writes for national review and he has a piece about bruce springsteen who you know getting up there in years he's always given concerts but the title of this piece is springsteen's new glory days anthem of the elite and glory days used to have some lyrics that were much about blue collar absolutely uh, workers and they're gone the new rendition he has removed them and this is what just ties in with the other things just mentioned. Here's what Armand writes. Not only was that verse omitted from the song's official release recording, but its sentiment was also missing from Springsteen's recent rendition in Barcelona, Spain, where he performed Glory Days on stage with Barack Obama's wife, Michelle, and Kate Capshaw, the wife of Steven Spielberg, serving as backing vocalists. So here you go, uh, man of the people, musician of the people, Springsteen. These guys, They all have gone so elite. It's it's sickening, Victor. I don't know what. Did Can I ask you something? What was because I used to I I I like Bruce Springsteen's music. I don't I don't enjoy what he says. But what was I remember that song? It was about a guy who's hanging out with his friends, and he starts to reminisce about I guess the high school days. And there was a girl that kind of winked at him, you know, and keeps talking. That's a refrain. Was that what was offensive? Well, no, here's the lyric that was missing. My old yeah. man worked 20 years ago on the line and they let him go. Now, everywhere he goes out looking for work, they just tell him he's too old. I was nine years old and he was working at the Metuchen Ford plant assembly line. Now he just sits on a stool down at the Legion Hall, but I can't tell what's on his mind. That lyric. Oh, gone. that one. I was thinking of the other one about... Yeah. You know the guys that are thinking about the glory days. That one, sorry, glory days. Yeah, well, this is this is the first verse of glory days. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, but, but now he's now he performs it with Michelle Obama and Kate Capshaw in the back in the background, do wop in it. It's I don't know, Victor. Anyway, it was like uh, remember Steven these? Spielberg's was regretting that he went back and changed some of his. Yes. Was it E.T.? They took or? the guns out of E.T. They yeah. took the guns and they replaced them with walkie-talkies. Wow, that's like being in the Soviet Union and, you know, calling up the Trotskyites and saying, how can I help you erase myself? I mean, that's right. just ins that's insane. Yeah. I, I don't know what to, to say. It's just, it's, it's, it it's very it scary because, you know, I'll give you one parallel, and that was... Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. I always thought that that was an American classic. And have you noticed that now that that's almost like a racist diatribe that call for racial tolerance and integration and ecumenicalism? They have really mm -hmm. deplatformed her. 
they've done to her what they did to J.K. Well, you know, with Harry Potter. Right. So these people, gosh, when you go back and, and you look at contemporary accounts of the French Revolution or read what Edmund Burke had reflections on it, and you see what they were doing, they were toppling statues, they were renaming streets and buildings. And I said earlier, they were, they didn't they were doing exactly what we did with the 1619 project. They went back to year zero and said right. the foundational date of France was 1789. Hitler did the same thing, 1933. And it's it's just uncanny that these people and are doing these things. And then the, what's final note is things that should be really embarrassing that have always been embarrassing to the left. I'll take one example, and that was the 1937-38 court packing scheme. Remember that on FDR? Yes. He had just won a huge margin in the 36 election landslide. He had the National Recovery Act declared unconstitutional. So he said, I'm going to pack the court. I'm going to make it, I think, 16, 15 judges. I'm going to expand the, the lower federal appeals courts. And I'm going to put my guys in and get them confirmed by all my guys. And, and we're going to make sure that nobody uh, ever doubts the constitutionality of the New Deal takeover. And the subtext of that, we remember, was, and even if I'm not successful, I'm, so, I'm going to scare the blank out of the Supreme Court so they're never going to rule because I can do it anytime and anywhere again. Right. And that was a disgrace. Every major liberal historian, Arthur Schlesinger Jr., you name it, criticized that. And it was a blot on it. It was like the Japanese internment. It was the dark moment of the Roosevelt administration. And and then now you see websites pack the court. And the idea that you go out and you attack a judge at his home to influence opinion, that is a felony to do that, to, to mob at his doorstep so that he will be cower inside and then rule in your favor. Or that the fact that you yeah. would leak a preliminary draft of a Supreme Court, that's a felony. But they're not... It, it, it's it's objects of pride. Everybody thought, wow, that was great. On the eve of the midterm, we leaked out about Roe versus Wade. We frightened everybody that every woman in America is going to be killed because she couldn't get an abortion. We sure showed those justices. <laughs> and packing the court, hey, Ikeem Jeffries is the House minority. He came out and said he thought it was a great idea. I'm thinking, well, why didn't he do that during the 60s and 70s when they had a 6-3 liberal majority? So my point is we're at the point of such surreal times that what the left thought was an embarrassment is now a badge of honor. They have no shame. It's it's amazing. Well, anyway. no shame is is the, is the bottom line, Victor. I'd like to let our listeners know, but I I, just, I got the Wall Street Journal. Well, I get it every day. The Wall Street Journal this weekend uh, edition, May sixth seventh, has a piece by Gary Saul Morrison. It's on the fiftieth anniversary of the public publication of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago and much of what you were talking about of the roots of what is it like to be a, um, a totalitarian regime. Uh, Solzhenitsyn nails it in the Gulag, uh, one of those books that really changed 
history. So I want to recommend folks read that piece. And if you have never read the Gulag Archipelago, it's about time you did, fair listeners. So we thank our fair listeners for listening. And I um, want to read two comments, Victor, that we've received via iTunes slash Apple uh, podcast, where you can rate the show zero to five stars. Practically everyone gives it five stars. And uh, this first um, comment, and we do read all the comments, is from C.S. Madison, my favorite podcast. When a new Victor Davis Hansen podcast shows up in my subscriptions, it is the top of my list. I work through it during my busy days. Most others I dip into occasionally, but yours always. C.S. Madison. Thanks, C.S. And now, Victor, I have to read this. I'm sorry. I just have to do this. This is from Casey Prescott. It is not the Jack Fowler show. I completely enjoy listening to BDH's insights on current events and history. I find myself hoping that Jack Fowler will just ask a question or request a comment. I find it annoying when he talks about his life and opinions, but I really dislike when he talks over uh, David. I think they meant Victor. At best, it is rude, exclamation point, end quote, Casey Prescott. But she still gave it, or she or he gave it five. If it makes you stars. feel better, when I go <laughs> when I go places, people come up to me and say things like, why did you, why were you with this Sammy? You mean to Sammy. Oh, Sammy. Yes. And, and Jack was trying to bring out a point and you cut him off. Yeah, well, I, don't it is it is your show. I'm not worried, but uh, I just uh, we have to, on occasion, read even uh, non-positive comments. So thanks uh, to all who listened. Though thank you, Victor, for all the wisdom you shared today. Uh, thanks, folks, for listening, and we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com. And use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com.